Hello and thanks for tuning in. This is the radio ministry of Grace Community Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. Please open up your Bibles and join us. Here's Pastor Dennis Helton. Morning, because it is a tremendous morning. Every morning is. God has graced us every day, every day, to even uh, be able to breathe, as we sang in that song. Just a breath that we have is God's grace that he's given us. Anyway, uh, as we continue on in 2 Corinthians, uh, we're in chapter 11, uh, we see that the Apostle Paul loves the church, no doubt about it. And whether he was at the church at uh, Thessalonica or at Ephesus or Philippi or in this case here as he's writing to the Corinthians, he was very close to the saints. And he had planted most of those churches and wanted them to grow. I mean, that was a key element in in all of his ministry. So he wants to bring the saints to full stature, to maturity. And he has that desire, a great concern. And we've uh, already learned that he was jealous for the saints there in Corinth, as well as all the other churches. And it was with a godly jealousy. And so we kind of uh, studied over that. We saw that uh, he was so concerned because he had betrothed them to Christ, and he wants to present them as being holy in him. Uh, So anyway, that's what Paul thinks of the church. He actually was willing to give his life for the church, and he did, in a sense, didn't he? Um, Because his whole ministry was revolved around that. We know that he was punished much for it all the way to physical death. He went to the point of death many times. Not just uh, once or twice, it was on a constant basis, just for the sake of the saints. It's really for the glory of God, obviously, but he gave himself up. He was a sacrifice. Uh, There were external sufferings that we're very familiar with, and we'll be looking at those today. Uh, He went through external sufferings like no other man in the history of mankind. I don't think there's anybody that can compare with Paul except, of course, Jesus Christ himself on the cross and taking the sins of mankind all there at that one time. But you you think of the physical sufferings. Who can compare with what Paul went through? So anyway, that's for the body of Christ, that he'd fill up the sufferings of Christ. That's what he prayed for, that he would know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings course, the resurrection of Christ. The key to this uh, long section that we're going to be in today is found in verse 28 of chapter 11. Uh, after he lists a whole bunch of uh, external sufferings, in 28 he says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Concern for all the churches. This uh, concern, uh, this care is dealing with pressure, uh, anxiety, stress. Yes, Paul was stressed. Yes, he had an anxiety that was, I think you could say that was a a biblical uh, anxiety in that sense. Uh, All the other uh, experiences, they're, they're external. They are occasional. But his concern for the churches, the burden of the churches was constant. It, it was on 24-7, constantly uh, that concern that he had about them. And he was not about to concede any ground to the enemy. And we've seen the enemy as being ultimately Satan and all the demons. And then the henchmen, the, 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 the workers that actually caused Paul problems, the, the humans... The, uh, the enemies there in that, in that sense uh, who were the imposters, the false apostles, the deceivers. Uh, he put on a solid, lengthy defense to the Corinthians about his ministry, about what he was involved with. He defended the gospel. It's not just about defending Paul, but it's really the, for the sake of the gospel. And he knew the false apostles could lead these Corinthians astray could lead them astray and away from truth. And that's what he's really concerned about. It's, it's at his heart. 
so concerned. He doesn't want to let these sheep be taken away by the wolves. So he contends here, and I think he contends very heavily as the whole book is really kind of focused on this. And I know week after week sometimes it sounds somewhat like what we've heard before, but he marches on through it. We see this defense. And um, this is God's word, so it is very important just for me to discover how can this make some kind of meaning to all of us rather than just some kind of narrative because it, it, it is powerful. The word of God is more powerful than a two-edged sword. And so it is here to um, affect us. And as we see that he truly cared for the saints very intently, we too have to ask the question, how can I, how can I be like Paul? I can't be like Paul. I mean, he was an apostle. Look how God gifted him. Look at all he went through. I, I've never been through anything like that. I don't think there's anybody here that would even say remotely that we are close to the sufferings that Paul went through. We've had it so easy. But how can we learn this kind of concern for the church? We still have things to learn, don't we? We need to be able to love Christ more and more intently and to love his body, the body of Christ. We have not arrived. How can I be more like the way that Paul was as he imitated Christ? And so that's what we are going to look at today. We want to have a radical concern for this local body that we meet with and then also have a concern for the whole body of Christ worldwide. How can we have that concern? Well, I hope this will behoove us to think about that and to be more serious in our church relationship. Why don't we grab uh, our Bible and see what Paul is uh, talking about here as we will uh, take it up in the middle of 2 Corinthians 11. Let's stand. And we will read through the rest of the chapter. It's lengthy, but <clears throat> you'll get the flow. And he starts off with the word again. And that's what Paul has been doing. Again, I say... Let no, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. What I'm saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I'm just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been on labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. 
Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led unto sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I'll boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Guide us into this truth and the meaning that is there and the meaning that you have for each one of us here today so that we may learn what you're teaching us. You are teaching us intently as we go through this book of 2 Corinthians. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we uh, embark on the uh, lengthy section that we just read. That was a long time to stand, wasn't it? But nobody can say anything about it because after you read through all the things that Paul went through, uh, our little suffering of standing for a few moments cannot compare. Matter of fact, there's nothing that we have that can really compare with, with that. And my, how we use so many excuses to not be serving the Lord. And Paul starts off, again, I say, let no one think me foolish. But if you do, receive me even as foolish. So I may boast a little. So those same words that he's been using, that we've been looking at for several weeks, foolishness and boasting. And he's saying boasting about what he did is actually foolishness. It's not that it's foolish. It, it, it is truth. But he's having to do the same things that the false teachers were doing to get the attention of the Corinthians. It's a shame that he has to do this, but that's what he resorts to. And so here we are. When he uses the word fool, I have it in quotes in my notes here. The apostle is not a fool in any way. And uh, I guess you could say he's taking the place of a fool for the moment because he's going to have to boast in order to recover the immature thinking that was in the Corinthian assembly. Uh, the word there uh, dealing with that is affron. Um, affron is, is thinking its mind um, comes down to uh, like in verse 1 uh, of chapter 11 I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness but you indeed you are bearing with me you are putting up with that I hope you'll put up with a little bit of my foolishness again that I'm saying here Paul is saying term fool can literally be used as unwise it's not necessarily the term stupid or no wits about you. It's talking about just unwise. Um, whenever somebody's self-perceptions are blown totally out of proportion. And so there's a, a distinction there of what that word is about. It, it's, it's about folly that he's getting ready to do. If they do folly, okay, I'm going to play the same kind of game here. I'm going to do my folly in this boasting. But whatever he has to say is not foolish at all, is it? It's all absolute truth. Um, he's speaking the truth. I think he says in chapter 12, the very next chapter, um, For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. So there he says, I, I'm not really foolish, I'm speaking truth. Anyway, that's um, it's good to know about Paul. Uh, they were quite accustomed to putting up with fools. That's really what Paul is saying. They've been used to this. They've, they've, they've put up with it. And he's saying, okay, you've put up with the intruders who came in. I want you to put up with my foolishness for a little bit here. They started this business of boasting. Paul's going to finish it. Corinthians. They tolerated this self-importance of the fools, actually, that had come in. It was a gibberish of the, the true intruders that they had. The Corinthians tolerated them, so he's, tolerate me a little bit here. Uh, Proverbs 26.5, and this is really what Paul is doing. 
Proverbs 26.5 talks about fools and what to do about fools. Sometimes it's best to ignore them. But sometimes it's to do what Paul would, would say. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he be that he not be wise in his own eyes. So there is a time to answer a fool of the folly that he has and that he's doing. And answer him, you know, give him truth. See, he's wise in his own eyes. Anybody can be wise in their own eyes, can't they? In our own eyes, we can do whatever we want, and it's all cool. And that's what the world wants to do. Leave me alone. You know, you shouldn't be judging me. So there is a sense where Paul's saying, answer that fool according to his folly. So that's what the apostle is doing here in uh, chapter 10, chapter 11. Uh, And he gets to the deal about boasting. And he says, not as the Lord, um, in verse 17, what I am saying, I'm not saying as the Lord would, as Jesus would. Jesus didn't do that, did he? You can think in the Gospels. And this would be very unlike the Lord to boast. But Paul has been forced to boast as he encounters these problems. And so um, he doesn't want to be taking taken by the Corinthians as he's talking as the Lord would. The Lord didn't use that approach. He's not talking as the Lord would. Jesus never did any boasting. Paul has to do the boasting here, though. So um, if they boast, they're boasting according to the flesh. Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I'll boast also. So, you know, we've, we've covered this element through and through, but again, this, he, he has to keep coming back make sure they get this, and then we'll move on here. Uh, worldly standards, they have the idea of strength and success. So he, too, is going to show his strength and his success, but not the way that they did. He'll tell you how he was strengthened. What you have here, and in verse 19 and verse 20, is abiding sarcasm. We've seen sarcasm throughout this letter. And more and more it has been increasing and it hits its apex. I think this is Paul's apex of all of his epistles where he has to do this sarcasm, this irony that he, uh, that he uses. Boasting should pose no problem for them. If the other guys boast, then it shouldn't be any problem. You guys shouldn't get upset at all about this. You're used to putting up with fools. Paul doesn't mince any words here. You remember, he's already labeled them false. Uh, uh, in chapter, uh, the same chapter, 11, verse 13, such men are false apostles. They're deceitful workers. Boy, he's using harsh language, isn't he? Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. He says there will be judgment for them. So, you know, they call themselves one thing, and he comes back and says they're false, they're deceitful, they're disguising themselves. They're, you know, Satan disguises himself. So it's, it's rather very biting. So the intruders are fools. They exaggerate the opinions that they have, their self-importance. They are really building themselves up. Self-exaltation is what has happened to these um, leaders, false leaders. The Corinthians are gladly putting up with it, Paul says. They're gladly doing it. It says right at the end of verse 19, for you being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. Glad to do that. Glad to just invite them right on up and teach them. They were duped, weren't they? Apostolic pretenders. But yet they think of themselves so wise. Paul uses the word 
foolish, which is unwise. So they didn't just merely turn a blind eye to these particular false apostles. They welcomed them. They received them with pleasure. That's why Paul is so upset. So he extends upon what he's already been talking about, actually for the whole book, this whole letter. And now he brings it up to this sarcasm. Like I said, this is the weightiest sarcasm that he uses anywhere. These verses just drip with sarcasm, with irony. Very degrading that he is going to have to employ here these kind of terms. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you. Starts with that word slave. They've been enslaved. That's uh, pretty degrading, isn't it? The Judaizers. And most think that these guys came from Jerusalem. They, They followed him everywhere he went. They were right behind him. Right on his heels. And of course what he taught was the gospel of grace. They bring in legalism and mix it with the gospel. And you have something else. They have the mosaic law that they bring into play here. And so they're they're enslaved to this false teaching, this legalism. Next he uses devoured. If anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, pretty easy to understand there. It's actually used uh, commonly for um, animals of prey that would come up and eat a carcass, to eat it up, to devour it. That's the idea. Uh, In this case, it would be they want to devour your money. They want to take you for all they can get. They're exploiting you. They're, they're eating you out of house and home would be another phrase. You've heard that. Uh, eat up all you possess. That's what they were doing. They took advantage of them and got the financial support from them. wonder how much was going out of their pockets to these guys. That's really why they were there. It wasn't to advance the gospel. It was about money. The next one. If anyone takes advantage of you, it's in in hunting, for instance, that term is used to to set a trap for an animal. Or fishing, the word is lambano. It means to bait a hook for a fish, to put in some kind of meat or something in a trap that an animal would would, uh, be allured by, by this bait. It's the image of a bird caught up in a snare, taking a advantage of. That's the idea. And then exalting themselves to hold up or to lift up. They exalted themselves in their their boasting. It's a stuck-up opinion of themselves. They thought highly of themselves. Of course, the biblical thing that Paul has talked about is that we are to esteem others higher than ourselves. They did not do that. And then this next one is really interesting. Anyone hit you in the face? That's a fascinating phrase. The word is darrow, and it means to flay or to skin. It means to beat a dead horse. And it usually refers to actual physical beating. And that could very well be. As a matter of fact, um, there are cults who have been known to actually, the leader would actually slap them in the face or actually punch them out, actually get into a fight. Can you imagine that happening in a church where people are slugging each other? And um, I think Scientology, I've heard the the stories there where that uh, one particular leader after L. Ron Hubbard actually had, um, would, would punch people in the face. That's incredible. That could have been happening. Or it also is um, something that is used figuratively, and this is probably more of the meaning. It's a very insulting behavior that they would do on them. Some were probably embarrassed publicly by people. So it wouldn't necessarily be a slap or a punch in the face, but it'd be a way where they would embarrass one in front of other people in the church or outside the church. So do you see what these guys were doing? And Paul knew it. 
And they were putting up with this. People do that, don't they? That's how cults have survived. This would have turned into a cult had Paul not cared for what this is with all the gospel they have. Even if it's you know, possible, if, if possible, even elect be deceived. But God made sure that Paul showed his love and concern for these people in the church. So do you see the, the biting sarcasm that he is using? Can you believe these people were putting up with this? So those terms, does that help as we have been talking about this for weeks as, as he comes now and brings forth his, I think, the heaviest sarcasm that he could and that they were enslaved, that they were devoured, that they were taken advantage of, that they exalted themselves and even hit him in the face. Brow-beating tactics. Paul is not ever going to stoop to such levels. He's doing the boasting thing. He's doing, okay, you do that. They do that. Okay, I'm going to do this. It says in verse 24, if you tolerate it, if anyone enslaves you, and we, we did all that right, in verse 21, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. We haven't gone to that point. We haven't done any of these things. We haven't enslaved you. Did Paul enslave them? Did he devour them? Did he take advantage of them? He's already explained that he didn't even take money from them at all. They had nothing to blame him up but he says to my shame he keeps using that irony irony we've been weak compared to those guys look what they did they even possibly could have punched you in the face physically but i think it's obvious here that they were deluding the the corinthians the corinthians weren't knowledgeable what was going on you know why because they didn't know the word of God sufficiently. Any of these things that they, that was happening, that was very obvious in that church, that should have been detected. It's something done about it. Unbelievable. Biting sarcasm, to my shame, he admits. We were too weak. We, we didn't do those things to you. He's been accused of being bold before them whenever he would write his letters, but before them, personally, he would be weak and he wouldn't say anything. That's what they've been saying about him. The source of most of the deceit that takes place in the body of Christ today and in Christendom is just getting away from the Word of God. And once that happens, people, if they're individually getting away from the Word of God that they used to study and read so much and hear a step at a time. Don't quite have time to read today. Don't have time to read today. I'll get to it. And a week goes by, I haven't even read it. Don't maybe hear the sermons that are available to be able to either read or hear, listen to might even be less at church. People are deceived because the word of God is not sufficient enough for them to be able to make the defense. They start getting weak. That's what happens. You can say, Corinthians, isn't this obvious what's going on? No, it wasn't to them at all. Why did they do what they did? Because they hadn't been in the word of God. They weren't studying the scriptures. It wasn't being taught. It wasn't being preached. So there is the first part. And this is something that we've seen all the way through. And now he gets to something that he has spoken about. But now he goes to probably the, well, the, the lengthiest section dealing with his sufferings. And they're like, boom, 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 boom. One after another. It's almost unbelievable. And if you've been reading the scriptures for a long time, you read through that and you go, yeah. That's what happened to Paul. And then you move on and, and you really don't realize that this man took more abuse than any other human in, in history. I say human. He was just human alone. We know what happened to Christ. and the, uh, So he, he wanted to fill up the, the, the sufferings that's in Christ's body that is to come. I think Paul did it. He didn't bring them on. He wasn't looking for those. Don't be looking for sufferings. There are enough that will come your way. <laughs> You don't have to beg for them. You don't have to pray for them. But 
you do want to have to be praying for strength as you go through these things. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to boast. And you would think that he would be boasting about all the privileges and all the different countries and different lands that he's gone through, actually different continents, how many conversions he's had, all the experiences that he's had. You would think he would use those to counteract their boasting because he could sure blow them away. No, he's going to use his weakness. And all of this is about Christ, isn't it? It's to show that in his weakness, Christ is glorified because he's still there. <laughs> he's still here as, as he writes this letter. You know, how did he go through all that? And then he had more to come after that. So from verse 22 through 31, we could call this a fool's boasting. They had boasted in the external advantages. He's going to boast as well. He's going to start off with his heritage. In whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I'm just as bold myself. Okay, you want boldness? Here we go. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Okay, starts off with Hebrews. These guys are Jewish. So he starts off with, are they Hebrews? So am I. Makes a distinction between a Hebrew Jew and a Hellenistic Jew. There is a distinction. A Hebrew Jew speaks Hebrew. His culture is Jewish to its roots. A Hellenistic Jew is a Greek Jew. He's Jew, but he has not, he speaks Greek. His culture is Greek. Probably lives away from Jerusalem and Judea. Some of those moved down to Jerusalem and Judea later on. But, but he spoke the language. He was very Hebrew. They were very Hebrews. So ethnically, they don't have anything over him, starting with the heritage, right? Paul says, are the Hebrews? I live according to the same culture. Very much so. Then he says, are the Israelites? So am I. The Israelites belong to God. They were the people of God. They had all the privileges, all the status that the people of God were to have. They had the very word of God. It came to them first. They were adoption as sons, as a elect people inside this nation. The, the glory of the covenants, the law, the temple service, the promises, the promises leading to the promise of all, the Messiah. They had all that. Of course, they were going to share that to the world. That's what their command was to do. So they're Israelites, members of the people of God. So am I. Descendants of Abraham. Being a descendant of Abraham, he's possessed of the specific blessing, the specific promises that were according to the nation of Israel. So all those promises that were given to them, we get to get in on the promise. I call it promise theology. So they uh, were descendants, Paul says, I am too. So... He's at least equal with them there, right? He starts with that because they were saying that he really wasn't a true Jew, maybe. Saul of Tarsus, but he had moved to Jerusalem and he had studied under the teacher of all teachers, Gamaliel, in Jerusalem at what we would be known as a, a seminary of his training. Well, what about his service? What about his service record that he has? He's, he's done the heritage. He continues his boasting, and boy, this is going to build. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. <laughs> Remember the sarcasm that he's been using? I more so. 
really they weren't servants of Christ. This is where it cuts off right there. They are false servants of Christ. They're not true. Do they claim to be servants? Okay. Truth, they're false apostles. They're servants of Satan, aren't they? But he gets into, what about himself? And again, he could have said, I've established more churches. I've preached the gospel in more lands, continents, to more ethnic groups than they have. I've preached to black and white and to all in between. And I've traveled more miles than anybody could ever have done. I've won more converts. Paul could have said all of that and it was absolute truth. He doesn't do that kind of boasting. How does Paul defend himself? He doesn't do it the way they do it. If this is foolishness, right? How massive he suffered for Jesus Christ. This is incredible. Folks, what I'm giving you here is not the health, wealth gospel. Jesus suffered. The prophets suffered. In the Old Testament, many lost their lives, had their heads cut off, other things. You want to see what that's all about? Look in Hebrews 11 right at the end of it. Look what faith is. And they talk about faith seeds. If you do the right things, you will be blessed and everything will go your way and everything is pie in the sky right here on earth, right here now. You know, I I can't find that anywhere in all of Scripture. And then you read this text here and you go, well, Paul must have been doing something wrong. I'm just saying, we have to look at the Scripture. Remember those false teachers that Paul has been talking about? I think those guys that are on TV, on just everywhere that you hear them, even on the radio sometimes, I think those are the guys that Paul's talking about. They were doing the same things. Distort, distorting the gospel of grace. Paul says, I speak as if I'm out of my mind. I know this sounds crazy. Remember he, uh, he said... He used the word insane. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm out of my mind. Somebody uh, said literally it means this. I have a loose shingle on my roof. (laughs) Kind of loopy, flaky. I'm speaking as if I'm crazy. I'm, I'm insane. And so he's getting ready to take off with this one piece of a chain to the next piece of chain. They're boasting about their outward privileges and status. Paul's going to boast. But it's about his problems and his trials. And he was outside of Christ the greatest gospel giver of all. We see the epistles that he wrote. Christ promised him he would be going through these things. The only thing is he promised the rest of the apostles that they would too. You look in history, well they did. And also, if anybody is in Christ, why he's godly, they will be persecuted. They will go through sufferings. Humanly, this is not a fascinating thing that the ordinary person wants to hear. It doesn't gain great audiences. Unless you have like-minded people who believe that we are all sinners and we're trusting in the grace of God in every element of our lives. And we know the Christian life is hard and it's suffering. One of these days we will be glorified and everything will be perfect and right and in glory. We can't deceive ourselves. So he starts off with labors. I more so in far more labors. Labors. First Corinthians 15, he says, And I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whenever he does boast, it's in Christ. It was by the grace of God that he was able to labor. To labor. Imprisonments. 
far more imprisonments. If you read Acts chapter 20, verse 1, um, you read through there, you find out Paul's story in the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 20, verse 1, and then you correlate it to where we're at, and you'll see there it speaks of imprisonment. But here in Second Corinthians, it says imprisonments. There's more than one imprisonment that Paul had. We know that. And we know as you go through Acts, you'll see more and more and more there, far more imprisonments. The book of Acts doesn't tell us all the sufferings that Paul went through. It's more than enough. But the book of Acts does not go into the depth that we even have here in Second Corinthians. And even at that, we don't know what all he went through. So as I was reading that this week, I kept trying to relate to it, and I couldn't. I was trying to put myself in Paul's place, and I, you know, if if you saw these things, after a couple of three times, you'd be ready. Just kill me, Lord, please get me out of here. But it was the grace of God that was able to keep him alive, and and to keep the same kind of attitude that he had from day to day. Acts only gives us a little bit of what the apostle went through. Only have a little bit here. How many church boards would accept a man who gave a resume like this? <laughs> he doesn't tell about all the things, all the churches that he's started and all the converts that he's had. And now he's discipled them. And I'm sure they'd be thinking, there's got to be something wrong with this fellow. Look at all the things, you know, God, look what God has done to him. Matthew Henry, on, on uh, dealing with the beating with the 39 lashes, uh, or, or beaten, far more prison, beaten times without number, he's going to come back with the, the lashes. Um, Matthew Henry says, when the apostle would, uh, would prove himself an extraordinary minister, he proves that he had been an extraordinary sufferer. Who would ever go this route? the jail, the whipping post, all the hard usages of those who are counted the worst of men. That's who went into these prisons and got beaten. So he says, beaten times without number. How many times did it happen? Often in danger of death. How close did he come to death? We've seen in Second Corinthians that he would he'd even come to the point of death. Matter of fact, he'd given up. He thought this was it. And our humanists, that's what we're going to think sometimes. This is it. I think uh, in the twenty-fourth verse, five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Our Lord took lashes, didn't he? And um, this was attached to the from from the courts to the synagogues, and this was what they were supposed to do when somebody would uh, have a hypocrisy or come teaching some heresy. And so, a Jewish man was to be brought before their courts. He was sentenced according to the law in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-five, and he was to be beaten with lashes. Now, to receive 39 lashes or 40 minus 1 had to be quite an experience. And we know there was the cat of nine tails, I believe, and or uh, sometimes they'd have these, uh, uh, at the end of a, a whip, these three prongs. Now, 39 lashes, it wouldn't be 39 times um, as... Paul would have to lay on his stomach, first of all. He's face to the ground, and they would do as many as like 13 altogether. They'd turn him over to on the other side and get him uh, everywhere. But there would be uh, 13 times. They would hit 13 times 3 would be the 39. They didn't want to get to 40 because if they miscounted and they hit 40, then they would, the ones who are punishing there, would be considered to be having to be exiled. And it could mean death for that individual. And often, those ones who were flayed, even before 39 lashes happened, uh, died in, in that. So they would tie his hands to some pillars, lying on the stomach, and, and beat him. 
uh, all the way around. And this, those thongs just tore up the flesh of the individuals. The evidence um, of his health is definitely shown here. How could he continue to be living by the grace of God? How did he go through one time? How many times did it say? Five times. These 39 lashes. That brought death to quite a few. Think about it. And we have the right to complain. You know, I don't think we ever have the right to complain ever again. Wow. That's what I had to say as I read through this because I was thinking along, how can I bring this forth to where it doesn't seem like repetition? We've dealt with this. How can this be brought forth to where we see how this applies to our lives? We can't can't feel those kind of things. Did he care for the church? I think I've done enough for the church. I've done this and done that. Just let somebody else do that. I don't want to do that. i got other things to do. We're all called to suffer for the church. Might be You might be called to do some things that you wouldn't like to do. So that, that was some of the things that I came up with as I did that. That bounces back to me. <laughs> Right. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. We'll stop there for a moment. Rods, stoned, uh, Acts 14. We, we do read of him being beaten in Philippi. We, we know that. That was one of the instances. We don't read of the five times of the lashes, do we? We don't see that in Acts. We don't, you know, the the the, the beaten with rods. We know that is uh, put in in the stocks there in Philippi, Paul and Silas. We know that Lystra. There was that stoning, and where he died or came close to death, very well could have died. And of course, next week we'll be speaking about caught up to the third heaven so we'll get a little bit more than I'm looking forward to that section uh, things will kind of change a little bit even though it's still on the same theme um, I think it's quite interesting to uh, to read a, uh, about somebody biblically who was caught up to the third heaven and see what they had to say about it uh, he was shipwrecked he's talking of course about the fact that he was in a shipwreck we know we know about the shipwreck that's an axe it says here I was shipwrecked a night and a day I've spent in the deep. Well, that's a different shipwreck than the other shipwreck that we find in Acts. See, Acts is not telling them all. He's not telling them all here. We're talking multiple times he was in shipwrecks. Can you imagine one time? You would never forget it, would you? Well, one time is whenever the the ship got beat to death and he was on a plank. A whole night and a day just out there waiting for somebody to help that is an experience isn't it multiple shipwrecks Paul don't take a ship anymore <laughs> people would be advising him that and so I've got to get there I've got to get to Jerusalem at this particular time this is where I'm going Or got, this is the missionary journey I've got to do what I've got to do and the Lord will do what He's going to do. That's how He lived His life. He didn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows where He's supposed to go. He trusts in the Lord. And if the Lord wants to take Him then, that's fine. That's His view. And if He doesn't want to take Him, wants Him to suffer, well, that's just fine too. And everything just goes smooth sailing and no problem at all. That's just fine too. That's good. I like that. Didn't always work that way in His ministry. Um, three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. This is all before he's written Second Corinthians. 
He has more to go in his ministry, doesn't he? More times in a ship. Just kind of sink that in for a moment. The next section is the dangers and the deprivations. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Let that sink in. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He's not. The hazards, natural enemies, rivers, river hazards. We've had bridges go out. We've had the floods cuts people off on the road getting from where they were going to where they were journeying to. Had to go a long way around, maybe 30 miles. Paul had to take dangerous crossings. There's floods. Floods happen in springtime. Floods have always happened. We don't like floods, but they happen. They overflow their banks. Floods, bandits, they were notorious. When Paul went through the Taurus Mountains in Acts 13 and 14, the floods of the uh, Pisidian Highlands and, the mo and those mountains come rushing down those mountain streams, those rivers, and they'd tumble down the heights. Go all the way to the Pamphylian Sea. And of course you'd have the Pisidian robbers. If you didn't have the floods that you had to put up with, then robbers are there waiting for you. They made the mountains their homes because there would be one way in and one way out. Matter of fact, even between Corinth and Athens, which is a very populated area, I think it's like 40 miles, something like that. Or wait a minute, I think it's a marathon. Is that like 27 miles? Is that what it is? Anyway, I think that's how they came up with that. But um, it was infamous for its highway robbers. Constantly, he, he knew that they could be waiting in the lurches. They could be behind the next bush. He just crossed a river, and all of a sudden a robber pops out. <laughs> Can you think about it? God, what are you doing? Am I doing the right thing? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't promise you a rose garden. <laughs> this is serious. This is true. Human enemies, hostile. The Jews following him from city to city to city. Everywhere he went, there they were. They were on his tail. What? There they are again. They show up after he has preached the word, preached the gospel, and there they are to distort it, to confuse people. There was mob action that they would take. That could be in the urban areas, in the cities. Acts 17, we have that about the Thessalonians or uh, Ephesus where you see mob action there. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. He had to rush out. Rural areas, superstitions, all the legends of the, the people with him coming in there about the gospel. You're on a ship. The ships didn't really carry any lifeboats with them. For the most part, they didn't have life jackets. Travel on the Mediterranean could be really dangerous, truly dangerous. Journeys and dangers from rivers on the Mediterranean, wherever he was having to get in a boat. However he traveled, it was always a, a trip, wasn't it? His deprivations there, we see the natural enemies, the rivers and... False brethren. False brethren is pseudo delphoi. Pseudo, pseudo is false. Delphoi is brethren, brothers. It's applied to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 4. 
claim the name of Christ, infiltrate the church at Antioch to spy on the believers' freedom, freedom that they had in Christ, make them slaves. It was like over here, over here, over here, just everywhere he turned. And that's the way the gospel operates. It goes to where the enemy is at. And when the gospel goes to where the enemy is at, expect trouble. As sure as the sparks fly upward, the gospel is not liked, folks. That's what this is about. It's about the gospel. So you can see how this really peaks as he does his foolish boasting quotes. What are the deprivations? The labor and hardship found in verse 27. I've been in labor and hardship. He's already said about labor. Labor and toil. It's a hard life of itinerant labor. The word there is for is kapas. We've ran into that word before. It's manual labor. It's physical labor. It's exhausting labor where you go, I'm done. That's it. Dead tired. What's another word? Hardship. Makthos. Stresses the hardship or pain. Concern that he has for the converts. He goes through labor and pain. He's engaged in missionary labors. Um, He worked night and day. He might have made his tents, sold his tents during the day and at night. Continued on with his missionary gospel ministry. Is constantly doing that. What a drain. Many sleepless nights. And hunger and thirst. Often without food. Adequate shelter, clothing. Those journeys a hundred miles apart till the next town. Tough walking through those mountains. This must have been quite a common experience because he wrote this in 1 Corinthians also about the hunger and thirst, the cold, the shelter. And we hit the peak in verse 28. Those are the physical concerns. He says, with the Lord, no problem. It's his grace. It's going to be his grace in verse 28. But this is the one that I think that stuck out the most to him. And to a degree, I I can surely identify with this verse. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. A daily pressure. All the temptations that the come the sheep's way. But then there were no phones that he could just pick up, find out what's going on, how's, what's happening. We can find out in seconds today, can't we? Texting, speaking, emailing, all the different ways, talking on the phone, just driving over to somebody's house. We can find right away how, how's, how, how's it going. Somebody's going through some physical turmoil, sickness, you know, and sometimes it's... A whole family strikes, right? We've had that in in our church, and that's a big concern because it's just like you can't get rid of it. It's like weeks sometimes. It's a big concern. So the the church prays, pray that God would deliver them out of that. Pray that God would use that for His glory in some way. But there there's a concern there. It's a, it's a daily pressure pastoral anxieties that he has, a concern for the temptations, because they live in a pagan city, Corinth. Yeah, they could go back and go back to those same things they had once done before and call it freedom in Christ. Paul doesn't provide any specifics here, but I think the problems that he addressed in 1 Corinthians are a good indication. There was incest going on there, There were lawsuits. 
There were prostitutes that were brought up, idolatry, drunkenness of the, at the Lord's Supper. It goes on and on and on. Every chapter is about some things that were happening. We wonder how people are doing spiritually. Sometimes there's some signs that don't look good. We wonder. We all have these concerns. It's not just the pastor. It's everybody in the church because it's, if they're part of the body, we feel it. You have something wrong with your hand. You say, well, my ankle doesn't feel that. But eventually, um, you, you find out that your hand's connected with your, your shoulder. And it might be a shoulder problem, but it may not be the shoulder. It may be the, the back. It might be the lower back. It might be the hip. You see how the connections go there? And, and you find out that every part of the body affects the other parts of the body. And so that's why those anxieties come up. And, and believe me, internally this was really getting him daily pressures on me concerned for all the churches apart from all those other ones this is my big concern and of course this is what our our title is about today a radical concern for the church because we know that the enemy would love to root us out one by one and i know it and that's what really gets to me and it truly is a daily thing. That's why we pray every day for every individual in the church that we can remember, right? And other people, because we know that it's hard out there. We go to our daily jobs or whatever we do the next day, and we immediately get struck with things that are not of the Word of God. And so this is where Paul talks about this and really means it to them. He says, I'm really concerned about you. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? A radical concern. Somebody is led into sin. Are we concerned? We should be. We've seen some telltale signs. It's bothering me. He says, if I have to boast, and there we go again, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Have you seen some weaknesses? Oh, one after another after another. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, He is blessed forever. There's some grace there, isn't it? Now we get to see the light. It's, it's He. It's, it's this one who has the blessing forever, this eternal one. He knows that I'm not lying. Anything that I have said, it's not just exaggerated, is it? Five times, oh, Paul, that was only once it happened. No, it's five times. Three times, I shipwrecked. Paul, really, come on, that was just one time. No, it's three times I shipwrecked. Wow. And our last verse, we'll end here. He has God as his witness, doesn't he? In Damascus, this is the humility of Paul. This is absolute, maxed humility. In Damascus, do you remember when he would, had been on the road to Damascus years ago? And he was stopped. And of course, that was a very humbling experience as he was knocked off his horse. Something about that Damascus and Paul. Got to Damascus, and the ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. <laughs> oh, they know about him and that he's there. He's making an impact. They know what he's done before he gets there. And I was let down in a basket. His basket case. <laughs> Through a window in the wall. And so escaped his hands. He's having to escape by putting, being put in a basket, all crumped up, and they're letting him down on ropes. This guy is, you know, the Apostle Paul. He's the great one. And in all humility, that's the way he's got to get out of a city. Now, he's gotten out of cities more than once, hasn't he? He's not taken as some great one, is he? Humility. Daring escapades that happen. 
he chooses an episode right here to finish the chapter. And we'll see one where there is a, a slight exaltation, but not really, <laughs> because the Lord always has a way of keeping us humble, but by his grace, right? We are sufficient. A quick exit from the city of Damascus under the cover of darkness. Weakness, humility. And so we close. And so we say, that's quite a story. The Apostle Paul. Man, look how God empowered him to go all through all that. And it's truly a tremendous story of truth. This is, but it's all because of the gospel. We will never go through those things probably. I can't say we won't. But we're not likely to go through all those things. What I do say is maybe sometimes we need to get away from the TV. Maybe we need to be ministering the gospel of Christ to people who need it. Maybe we need to be reading the word individually. Maybe we need to be studying it, reading it together. However it be, if that's what we're supposed to do, then I believe we're commanded to do that. Go and make disciples. We want to do that. And so we want to pray that God would lead us into taking further this discipleship that we have. It's certainly a cost. And all those who are truly his will forget themselves, take up the cross, and follow Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we've heard your truth. And by your spirit and your grace, help us to minister and to live this life the way you have designed for us. In your son's name, amen. Hey, we thank you once again for joining us. We pray that this message would serve to edify you. And we say goodbye until next time. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Till next time.